0: episode two of season two, I tell a story about two very memorable individuals that I met in the span of months and how meeting them served as an example of how not to treat people. This is a story about the dangers of the ego and how we can treat every encounter with a person as an example of how to live or how not to live. I hope you enjoy episode two of season two, Passing Through Marrakesh. I placed my chopsticks in the center of a small glass bowl filled halfway with low-sodium soy sauce. My sister sat to my left, and my boyfriend, his good friend and line-brother of his fraternity, Ray, sat directly in front of us. An empty wooden chair furnished the end of the table reserved for a friend I'd yet to meet, Jeff's other line-brother and friend of almost two decades, Tommy. We ordered a few rolls, beers, and appetizers, the conversation ranging from how Ray met his wife to my sister's feelings surrounding her move to Chicago for her master's. A plexiglass door swung open, temporarily slicing the dim, red-tinged sushi spot with a stream of evening light. In walked a petite, bald, wide-eyed, mocha-hued man. I sensed that he was Tommy by the haze of annoyance that descended upon the table. My boyfriend and Ray were curious to see who this actor would play in front of a crowd both foreign and familiar. The guys gripped into a half-hug, my sister and I shook his hand, giving formal hellos before taking a seat. My boyfriend had described Tommy to me in detail prior to that sushi night. Illustrating the highs and lows of their friendship, hinting at Tommy's ego being, as Kanye West puts it, the steam that powered his dreams. But also like Kanye, Tommy's pernicious narcissism, packaged as confidence, subsequently led to his fall from grace. I mean, this dude had started a successful business in the city, won 30 under 30 awards, appeared in newspapers, rubbed shoulders with heiresses. Like so many others, he senselessly danced to the erratic social beat that promised power and influence a tune that hypnotizes the ego with melodic, sweet-sounding praise for appearance, not substance. Tommy's ears perked up when he heard my sister and I discussing grad school. Oh, where are you headed? He probed, setting his green tea on the table. Northwestern in Chicago, she replied. Northwestern in Chicago. I know a couple professors down there, he said, his eyes scanning the ceiling, searching an invisible Rolodex of names to drop. Are you familiar with Insert Bullshit Major, professor of Insert Fake-Ass Department? No, my sister chuckled nervously. I haven't formally met any of my professors yet. The program doesn't start until next week. Oh, well, you should definitely get in touch, he continued, because blah, 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 blah. See, the media depicts narcissism as undisguised and hyperbolic. As living legends, the narcissists gather their peons in the courtyard telling heroic stories of their conquests and accomplishments as the crowd wildly applauds. Trumpets play when their name is spoken and harps strum when they walk into a room. The prince or princess picks up a mirror, shocked at their own beauty upon eye contact. Their poreless skin glistens as their lips form a soft pout that eases into a smile. Mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? The narcissist inquires. You, Chris, a middle manager at a company you hate, but you have 10,000 followers on Instagram, you are the fairest of them all? The mirror bellows. My encounters with overinflated ego, just like anything else, have proven that there's levels to this shit. In the small questioning Tommy did with my sister, I saw in a split second, not a Disney montage, that there was absolutely no interest in what my sister was actually saying. He was too busy calculating his importance, his intelligence, his superiority, in his eyes, his worth. His familiar audience was a bore and not easily impressed. He was one extravagant lie away from Jeff booing and throwing a goddamn tomato on stage. They knew him. We didn't. Simple questions from them were met with hostility, whereas questions for us were an opportunity to paint his image anew on two fresh canvases. Did you ask him how he's doing? Jeff asked, during a conversation about an estranged mutual friend of theirs. What? Tommy asked, his face so twisted you would have thought Jeff asked him for a tampon. Why would I ask him how he's doing? That's one of the most superficial questions you could ask. No, I didn't ask him that. Okay, bro. Jeff responded, shooting Ray a quick, confused glance before changing the subject. On the walk to the car, I hung back to chat with Tommy. We shared in a mutual exchange akin to a Jeopardy! host calling upon a contestant. I'll take personal achievements for 1,000, please, shouted Tommy's subconscious. Okay, Tommy, my consciousness obliged. Can you tell the studio audience about your current plans and passions? I'm a job creator, that's what I do, Tommy started, clearing his throat. I'm no one's employee. Honestly, I've never understood people who could work for anyone. I started a successful business in college and really didn't even need to finish college. I just took my mentor's advice, who was one of the leading psychologists in the country. Looking back, I really didn't need it, but yeah, I build businesses. I'm a job creator. I'm an entrepreneur. And I know that's the cool thing now, calling yourself an entrepreneur, but I was an entrepreneur before it was cool. He continued on and on, his eyes never really meeting mine, but darting to our surroundings. Eyes wide, I bobbed my head in agreement. To what? I don't know. I didn't know what part I was agreeing with. I knew for a fact Tommy was currently unemployed. Maybe I was nodding in confirmation that this dude might be more fragile than described. It was Dale Carnegie who famously said that if you ask someone about themselves, they'll listen for hours. Tommy couldn't tell you if I was Jeff's girlfriend or Jeff's girlfriend's sister, but I could tell you his IQ, shoe size, and how many businesses he started before 30. I opened the car door and slipped into the passenger seat, laying my hand on Jeff's lap as we pulled off. I tilted my head, giving his leg a slight squeeze. There was a short pause when our eyes met. A silent agreement that this was going to be a long-ass night. I gave my friend Mimi the exact same look three months later at a swanky French spot in downtown Marrakesh. Her friend, Layla, had invited us out on our first full night in town. She said she'll have our driver pick us up, Mimi said, reading their text exchange out loud. What time should we say, eight? Yeah, that works, I agreed. We were greeted by a dark-haired gentleman parked outside the Riyadh as the golden sunset reddened the Medina. Mimi had described her friend Layla in detail prior to that night at the French Spot. She told me about the creative venture that awarded her recognition in the art scene before bouts with colleagues led to its demise. Her ego, as Alan Watts puts it, sought off the branch from which she was sitting. I was warned about the periodic, questionable comments, disdain for lifestyle bloggers because they don't create real art, and her insults disguised as tell-it-like-it-is big sister advice. But in the same vein, Mimi also made an attempt to explain why her friend's difficult childhood might be cause for the deep yearning to be loved, accepted, and validated by those she thought could serve as a catalyst to fame. We bid farewell to the dark-haired driver, stepping onto the sidewalk and into the restaurant. Couples were scattered across shiny chocolate tables on the outdoor terrace, hands dancing over wine and deep conversation with their dates, as classic Parisian music purred in the background. Bonjour, the host sung his lips pressed tightly together into a half-crescent. Season. he scanned our faces, and within a millisecond realized we spoke less French than a stray Moroccan cat. Inside or outside? He asked in English. We're waiting for someone, Mimi responded, so outside works fine. I've quickly learned that coming face to face with someone described by a friend you know and trust could go one of three ways. They could be nothing like Describe, maybe because they've changed or they're putting on an act in front of a new company. They could be exactly like Describe, or they could be worse. I was praying to meet the act-nice in front of new company, Layla. I'm sure the universe let out a hearty, gut-wrenching laugh immediately after that thought crossed my mind. I can picture it now, an omniscient being reading my petition, pulling up a split-screen of Layla on the way to the restaurant, and me twiddling my thumbs on the terrace, hoping for a nice, peaceful dinner. They tell their other omniscient friends to come look at this shit while clutching their chest, tears streaming down their faces as they let out a thunderous cackle that ripples into a Category 5 earthquake in Nebraska. Moments after making ourselves comfortable, a sleek pair of pearl-colored Pradas clicked and clacked towards the restaurant entrance. Attached to them was a petite, chic Layla, her hair fluffed into a messy bob. We stood up, gathered our things, and greeted her at the door. Mimi and Layla exchanged a warm embrace as I waited for an introduction. "'Nick, how are you?' Layla asked, her smile a grand accessory on her small, round face. We hugged and made our way into the restaurant. A hostess whisked us up a flight of opulent, red velvet stairs to a table for three. Mimi and Layla sat on an elongated couch as I settled into the single seat across from them. So how are you, long time-o? Layla asked, facing Mimi. I'm great. Just living life. I can't complain. What about you? Mimi replied. God, I'm a bit tired, Layla said, reaching for a wine glass. i just finished my third exercise for the day. After 30, your body just isn't the same. I- it's like I woke up and my nipples dropped to my ankles. Oh, okay, Mimi and I said, looking at our nipples and back at her. Twenty minutes into Layla's life story, a waiter donning a sleek black tie placed two juicy, perfectly roasted rosemary chickens on our table. And before we could wipe the thigh grease from our upper lips, Layla turned to Mimi and abruptly asked, Do you mind if I talk about something personal? Confused, Mimi shot me a, I don't know what this bitch is about to say, look, but I'm sorry an advance glance, and hesitantly replied, No? Layla nodded quickly and shifted her gaze towards me. Neka, do you mind if I discuss something personal? You don't mind, do you? a rhetorical question I was forced to answer. In the two seconds I had to respond, I already played a hundred scenarios in my mental theater on some Dr. Strange shit. What could this possibly be about, I thought. Maybe she's pregnant. Maybe her sugar daddy broke up with her in a crazy way. Nah, she broke up with her sugar daddy. She went waiting to exhale and set his shit on fire in the middle of the Moroccan desert, watching his belongings burn while inhaling a throatful of smoke, bullishly flicking her cigarette ash into a cup of fresh mint tea. Maybe she decided to restart her stalled creative venture. Maybe she found a long-lost sibling, but they're white. Maybe she's looking to reconcile with all the people she's insulted. Nah, that's too many fucking people. Maybe she's got three nipples, the possibilities were endless. Whatever it was, I appreciated that she felt comfortable enough with me, a complete stranger, to discuss something personal. No, I replied, I don't mind at all. She half smiled, then turned back to Mimi. I wanted to know why you don't follow me on Instagram. Are you ashamed of being publicly associated with me? She asked back arched, head tilted, dead ass serious. And if you're listening to this, I'm a thousand percent not joking. She straight face asked me permission to ask my friend why she doesn't follow her on Instagram. Mimi's eyes shifted, calculating the appropriate response to an absurd question. She laughed delicately in attempt to ease the tension, setting down a chicken bone before her reply. Layla, you don't follow me either. What's the, yes, I don't follow you because I chose to protect the people I love. I didn't even follow my own sister, my own boyfriend. What were you protecting them from? I interjected. Layla's head darted to me, having forgot I existed. Her perfectly postured body still facing Mimi, brow furrowed as if I just asked her to prove rumors that she did, in fact, have a diamond-encrusted vagina. I mean, of course she did. My guess is 24 carats minimum. What was I protecting them from? She repeated. Darling, I'm a public figure. I nearly choked on my own saliva at the seriousness of it all. In my mind, public figures were past presidents, celebrity chefs like the beloved Bourdain, rest in peace, Olympic athletes, famous writers, and Beyonce. Not a narcissist arguing over Instagram in a -a three-and-a-half-star restaurant in Marrakesh. When people have said things about you, I've defended you, Mimi added. What's more important, us following each other online or actually spending time in person? I need to be loved in all spaces, Layla retorted. I'm at the point in my life that if you can't love me in all spaces, I don't need you in my life. I won't go into everything Layla said that night at the dimly lit French spot, because she said a lot, like a lot. Everything from how she loathes being mistaken as an influencer because she's a world-renowned artist, to how she's the number one public enemy on several tastemaker hit lists for reasons unknown. At one point, she recounted how many important people she has in her network, rounding her five-figure following to the nearest hundred thousand because their power and influence is worth quadruple that of the average individual. Her stories of sabotage had the crackle and pop of a soggy box of Cracker Jacks. A couple hours with Layla felt like an eternity, an evening spent watching someone act out the first choppy, scatterbrained draft of their autobiography, never once honestly posing a question to their peers. Maybe that's impossible when the people in their world aren't seen as fellow actors but as members of the audience. We were there to watch in awe. We were there to applaud. Meeting two extremely narcissistic people in the span of months forced me to hold a mirror to my own behavior because what lives in others can undoubtedly grow in us. Our minds are fertile ground for feelings of self-importance, those unruly weeds of thought that convince us we're better than our neighbors because of where we work, how we look, or how many followers we have on social media. Our egos shield us from introspection, making questioning ourselves and our actions an arduous task. Ego says, as Tom Henry states, I can do no wrong, whereas confidence says I can get this right. Confidence says I'm valuable, while ego says I'm invaluable. So I'll pose to you the same question I pose to myself. What social armor do you wear? Is it your degree, your title, your following? Is it your intelligence, your income, your art? Is it your spirituality, your culture? What makes you feel superior? And how do you check that shit so you don't end up yelling at the drive-thru lady just because you have your masters, or asking someone why they don't follow you on Instagram as they wipe chicken grease off their chin? Who are you without it? And how can you treat the people you meet as a chance to learn both how to live and how not to live? Layla shouldered open the door to our loft, the space smelling of fresh paint. We carefully hopscotched a blue line of construction paper into the kitchen. Ugh, I have to clean before people come over this weekend. I get together the who's who of Mary cash every month. We have small bites and chat. And it's crazy. Every time someone comes over, they're just in awe of how impeccable my taste in art is. It's like they expect something less, she continued, leaning against the kitchen sink. You should come this weekend, she said, looking at Mimi. Layla sliced a handful of strawberries and drizzled molasses and honey onto a shiny white plate. Molasses has amazing health benefits, she raved, bathing a berry in the concoction and popping it into her mouth. Some say it cures cancer, helps the skin, there's loads of weight loss benefits. You must take amazing shits, I blurted out. Layla let out a hearty laugh, an unexpected break in character and slight crack in her armor revealing soft flesh and a smile. Not the cold, steel-like seriousness she'd been showing all night. Nekka, stop, Layla huffed, shrugging off the moment and resuming her previous role. Mouthful of strawberries, Mimi and I shot each other a quick glance. A silent agreement that it was going to be a long-ass night. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to episode two of Passing Through Season 2. If you love the podcast, please hit the five-star button. If you're feeling even more generous, leave your girl a review. I appreciate you guys so much beyond words. You have no idea. We're also on Spotify this season, which is super exciting. Check us out on that platform if you haven't already. I'll see you guys soon for episode three of season two.